Good morning. And uh, even though Corey's back, he's not really back. So, you know, we got to got to work him back in little by little so uh, we don't want to we don't want to overload him no he's he's still on uh, sabbatical so what that means is he's been devoting himself to to study to reading to prayer and uh, not coming into the office during the week and and so that he can be free without the burden of uh, uh, not that it's a burden but uh, there's there's a lot that goes with it you know, of, of teaching, I, I told him on Saturday morning, I woke up, we had a men's breakfast, and I woke up in an absolute panic because I thought it was Sunday morning. And I'm thinking, I didn't even go over my notes last night. I don't have my slides ready. Oh, no. And then I realized, oh, it's Saturday. <laughs> it's okay. So anyway, um, we're going to be in the, the book of Acts, chapter one. So if you guys want to turn there. And, uh, and we'll get started. So uh, there was a missionary who was serving where he was at. This is just a story I heard years ago. And uh, he had to do a lot of walking around town. And then uh, one day, somebody had, had gifted him a car. Uh, but as happens so often in ministry, when somebody gifts you with something, it's not always in perfect shape. And that was the case with this car. Um, it, it, it would run, but it wouldn't start. And so if you're wondering how that works, well, back in the day when they had these things called manual transmissions, you could jumpstart it. And so he's like, well, it's better than no car. And so he would have to uh, push this thing and usually recruit the help of people in the church or, you know, sometimes even recruit the help of strangers. Hey, could you push my car so I can get it started here? And uh, he would pop the clutch and away he goes. Um, you know, so uh, it, it worked out okay. And, and after a while, he kind of learned to, to live with this thing. And, and if he was going somewhere and, and knew that he had to stop it and then start it again, he would park on a hill so that he could, you know, kind of get a coasting start so that he wouldn't have to recruit the help of other people. So he kind of made it work. And then after a while, uh, there was another guy who was called out to the mission field who he, he wanted to, uh, to serve the Lord too. And so um, he, he comes out to help this guy. And, and so he's, he's explaining to him about how his car works. And, and the guy's just looking at him a little puzzled. And he's like, what is it? He's just, hang on, hang on a second. So he pops the hood, looks in. And sure enough, wouldn't you know, it was just a loose wire hooking up to the battery terminal. He tightens it up there, starts the car up. It worked perfectly from that point forward. And, you know, there's a lot of us who, you know, we go through life having made things much harder than they ever really needed to be. And sometimes it's like this guy, just through simple ignorance. He didn't know cars, and he didn't have any local mechanics to bring the car to. And so he just kind of limped it along because he didn't know any better. And uh, yet there's others, and I have definitely been in this camp uh, more than once, that our life is harder than it needs to be because we're just kind of ignoring what God has told us to do. And we're deciding to do it our own way, and for some reason it seems to be much more difficult than it should be. But today we're going to look at the gift from God that was given to every single one of us who wants to receive it that is truly 
going to change everything if we receive it from him. It changed everything for the early church, and it's still changing everything for believers today. It's the Holy Spirit. In the book of Acts, it begins in the wake of the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus. And we're still in the middle of that time period that, uh, if you were here a couple of weeks ago, Gary Ball shared um, in 1 Corinthians chapter 15 of of talking about right after Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, he was still physically here on earth ministering to the disciples, showing himself as alive and, and sitting down and eating with people. And, uh, and it was one of those things where we just had this infallible proof that Jesus really did conquer the grave. And it's funny, in, in choosing this text, um, believe me, I'm, I'm no master planner of anything in life. And so God kind of led me to this, uh, this section of scripture, and then as I'm getting deeper into it, you know, I'm really just focusing on the middle verses that we're going to cover today, talking about the Holy Spirit. And then I just realize the context of the time and the place where they were at. And it just flows that Pastor Corey was in Luke when Jesus was crucified and resurrected. And then Gary shared about the disciples with the resurrection. And here we are picking up right at the next point. You know, I was talking with Pastor Corey. He's almost done with the book of Luke. He's got one more chapter. And so um, I was wondering where he was at next. And, and I was like, well, you got another chapter to cover. So we still got at least 37 weeks for him to decide. <laughs> but uh, maybe, maybe not that, but <laughs> close to it. But uh, anyway, here, here we are just picking up uh, right after that. So let's, let's jump in um, in verse 1 of ch- Acts chapter 1. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day that he was taken up after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles that he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for the gift of your Holy Spirit. And God, uh, I just pray that we would not be guilty of preaching about the Holy Spirit without asking for you to fill this place. Lord, to fill our hearts. Lord, for you to be our comforter, our teacher. Lord, that you would uh, illuminate these pages to our minds. God, that we would uh, see and know and hear your will and your love for each one of us. Lord, I just pray that there's nobody who would leave this place without hearing from you. God, that you would be clear in how you speak And Lord, that we would have our minds clear so that we could understand. Lord, we love you. We invite you here in Jesus' name. Amen. So this is Luke writing, and uh, he starts off by saying, I wrote the first narrative 
this first narrative that he's talking about is not the narrative that we're hearing in the news nowadays, but uh, he's, he's just referencing the Gospel of Luke that he had written. That was the, the first book that he had written, and he's continuing now in, in writing about uh, the early church history. And uh, in the beginning of his gospel, Luke puts straightforward the reason for him writing the gospel. Uh, in, in Luke chapter 1, verse 4, he said that he wrote it so that you may know the exact truth about the things that you have been taught. That's out of the NASB. I love that, how it just says that you may know the exact truth. And it's so encouraging to me to know that God wants us to know his plan and his will for our lives and that we would know the exact truth. We sang it in the first song. It says that you are the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except for him. There's not many truths out there, and we just kind of got to figure out which one works best for us. There is one truth, and God has given us the ability to know that, that we would know the exact truth. And God leads us in that path. Has anybody ever been trained up for a job? And when I say trained up, I mean not trained up at all. But you take a job, and they just kind of show you a couple of things and say, well, get to it. And you're sitting there just totally lost, going, I don't know what to get to. I just feel completely lost. And And I just thank God that he has not done that with us, that when we come to faith, that he is faithful to lead us in his ways, to show us the truth, to show us where we need to be. I kind of look at at it as if if you've ever gone uh, bowling, and, and now back in the day, there was only one kind of bowling, and it was difficult bowling, but now... You know, for little kids, they've got bumper bowling. (laughs) And so they put up the bumpers. And I mean, you can throw that ball any which way you want, and it's going to hit the bumpers and go all the way down. Well, sometimes in our lives, the Holy Spirit is like those bumpers. We're going off to the left. He goes, nope, nope, go to the right. And then we go too far to the right. He goes, nope, nope, off to the left. And and so I'm grateful that, that God is faithful to lead us in that way. But it says here, it's talking about that Jesus presented himself alive to the disciples by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. You know, Jesus didn't just whisper to someone in the tomb or even just to someone while they were laying in bed and then make everyone else in the world just take it by blind faith. He gave them infallible proof, meaning that if you wanted to know if Jesus rose from the dead or not, when when this was written, you could literally go and sit down and talk with people who had seen him alive, who had walked with him, who had sat down for a meal with him and hugged him and really, really experienced what it was to be in his presence. And, and Paul told us this in 1 Corinthians 15, 3 through 8, and this has really kind of been a, a resounding theme over the last several weeks, but it says, For I passed on to you as most important what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and the, he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve, 
Then he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Most of them are still alive, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles. Last of all, as to one born at the wrong time, he appeared to me. That was Paul writing that. Um, and, and he wrote this to the Corinthian church, basically saying, if you want to talk to some of the people who saw Jesus alive after his crucifixion, you can do it. Now, we can't do that, obviously, you know, unless you got a time machine, and I don't think any of us have one of those. But uh, we can't physically go and sit with Jesus, but God promises us that if we search for him, we will find him. His words in Jeremiah 29, 13 are as true today as the day that they were written. He says, you will seek me and you will find me when you search for me with all your heart. And really what it is, is is God wants to be found. Now, he's not going to part the heavens and stick his head down and and yell at us, because really that would be coercion. And and so in a way, he's, he's a little bit hidden, but he wants to be found. Has anybody ever played hide and seek with a toddler? You know, you're looking through the room and you just see the curtains coming down to about here and you see this torso and these legs sticking out and they're being as still as they can be because they're certain they won't be found. Well, you know, God's kind of like that in a way of hiding himself from the world. He's like, I'm over here. Shh. You know, he, he wants us to find him. He's, he's not willing that any should perish. Yet at the same time, He's, he's not going to coerce anyone into following him. He, he, he wants us to respond to his love. But he promises, if you will seek me and find me when you search for me with all your heart. And that's, that's really kind of the catch in this, is that we have to want to know him. We have to want to know the truth. It can't just be that I want to feel good inside or I'm struggling with X, Y, and Z. I just need help with my problems. If you just want help with your problems, there's a good chance you're going to be able to find help for those problems apart from knowing the true and living God. But if your heart's desire is to truly want to know who God is and the truth about him, He's going to reveal himself to you. He promises that. Let's continue in in verse 4. It says, While he, Jesus, was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which he says, You have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. And, and, And so here, Jesus says, Don't leave. Stay right here. Jesus was just killed. There was persecution. And Jesus is saying, don't go anywhere. You need to stay right here. And and that sometimes can be the most difficult word that we hear from God. When we feel we're ready to do something or, or that we just need to move on to the next chapter and God tells us, wait, sometimes that's the most difficult word to hear from the Lord. You know, there, there was a time where I just felt within my spirit, within my heart, that I was done with, with where I was at. 
And uh, I was ready to move on. And, and I basically told the Lord, God, if, if you don't give me something right now, I'm out of here. I'm putting in my resignation tomorrow morning, and I don't know what I'm going to do. Um, and so last week was really difficult. No, I'm just kidding. That wasn't... <laughs> no, this is, this is many years ago. But uh, <laughs> you guys are, what? <laughs> no. Um, but uh, it was really one of those things where I felt convicted of, of where I was at, things that were going on. And, and so I, I wasn't giving God an ultimatum. I wasn't threatening God with, hey, you, do, you show up or I'm, I'm out of here. It was nothing like that. It was just simply I felt that I had to go. And so I prayed and said, God, unless you give me something tomorrow morning, I'm, I'm putting in my resignation and I don't know what I'm doing, but it's, it's not going to be this. And, and I prayed and I started reading and God gave to me Psalm 27, 14, wait on the Lord, be of good courage and he will strengthen your heart. And then for good measure, he adds, wait, I say, on the Lord. <laughs> And I was like, no, <laughs> it, it was not what I wanted to hear, but I knew it was God speaking that. And, and I wasn't turning to, you know, a chapter and verse where I knew I was, I was going to hear what I wanted to hear because that, that was certainly not what I wanted to hear, but God was faithful to speak. And so um, he, he, he told me to wait and I had to wait for almost a year, but my life in ministry would have been completely different had I not waited at that time. I may not even be in full-time ministry right now if I had not been faithful to wait. And it was not easy, but when we're called to wait, when God gives you a command and he calls you to wait on something, we're still to remain busy. We stay in the scriptures, we stay in fellowship, we stay in prayer, and we stay busy loving others that God brings into our lives. When God tells us to wait on him, it doesn't mean that we just sit in the corner of our room and twiddle our thumbs until he shows up and tells us where to go next. And we see that with the disciples, that they were still meeting, they were strengthening one another, they were seeking God, they were searching the scriptures, and that's when the Holy Spirit appeared to them. That, that they were still doing the same things. They were still seeking God. And yet at the same time, they were waiting right there in Jerusalem. And when the marching orders came, believe me, they were faithful to go out. And some of it was through uh, external pressures of the persecution that came about. Um, but many of them were just faithful to heed the call of God and then go out into all the world and preach. But Jesus says, here's why you're supposed to wait. He said that John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. And this was a completely different type of baptism than anything that they had known. John's baptism was symbolic of repentance. Coming to the Lord, dying to yourself, and to your sinful desires, being made new in him and being raised again to new life. And as the scripture said, what John was doing is he was preparing the way for the Lord. He was turning people's hearts back to God so that they would be prepared and ready to receive the message that Jesus would preach when he entered his public ministry. And uh, the baptism of the Spirit, though, it was completely new. 
The world had never seen anything like this before. Men and women throughout the Old Testament would have the Holy Spirit come upon them at certain times for certain purposes, but he was never poured out like this, open to all people at all times. And in Acts chapter 19, this was one of the pivotal points where uh, Peter himself was, uh, I'm sorry, this is uh, with Paul, but uh, where people were living their life uh, without the gifting of the Holy Spirit, without the ministry of the Holy Spirit in their life. And it's in Acts chapter 19, uh, and it says, When Apollos was in Corinth, Paul traveled through the interior regions and came to Ephesus. He found some disciples and asked them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? No, they told him. We haven't even heard that there is a spirit. Into what then were you baptized, he asked them. Into John's baptism, they replied. And Paul said, John baptized with the baptism of repentance, telling the people that they should believe in the one who would come after him, that is, in Jesus. And when they heard this, they were baptized into the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they began to speak in tongues and to prophesy. So we see there that as Paul is talking with these people and, and fellowshipping with them, that the, he, he finds some believers there, and they're talking about the things of the Lord. And, and you get the sense that there was just something that wasn't adding up in Paul's spirit of, of sensing there's something missing here. What is it? And so he asks them, did you receive the Holy Spirit when you were baptized? And they looked at him and said, what are you? We haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. What do you mean? And instantly, Paul was like, boom, that's it. They haven't received the Holy Spirit. And so um, they had received that baptism of repentance, but they hadn't been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Now, to be absolutely clear, you know, the baptism in Jesus does not something that just solidifies you being saved. If you received, it says that if you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart, then you are saved. Baptism is simply uh, a step of obedience in the Lord because he has commanded anyone who has believed in him to be baptized. Um, but, and then after that, you see that Paul laid his hands on them and they were already baptized into Jesus, but then when he lays his hands on them, then the Holy Spirit comes upon them and they were baptized in the Spirit here. And there's some believers who, although they are saved, they go their entire Christian lives without the power and baptism of the Spirit being upon them. And this is such a great tragedy to know that the ability to do the work of God is just a step of faith away and never actually stepping forth to receive that. And it's because of this that I believe that some uh, believers have earned the title, the frozen chosen, you know, that they know the truth of God. They've, They've got their doctrine down. They've got their theology down. And yet, since they have not received that baptism of the Holy Spirit, there's no joy in their lives. There's no passion in serving. There's, there's no just absolute gifting of, of joy in the Lord in their walk. And so they just kind of seem sour-faced all the time and, and, and that there's no joy. And, and God's saying that's, that's not how we're supposed to be 
He has called us to live overflowing lives of joy in him. Let's continue in in, uh, verse 6. It says, So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? And he said to them, And it's not for you to know the times or the periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea, in Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So the disciples now, there were many, many of them who thought when Jesus was uh, doing his, his public ministry that, you know, they had read all the stories about the Messiah, that, that he was the conquering lion of Judah, that, that he was a warrior, fierce and mighty and strong. And then Jesus comes and starts talking about loving our enemies, praying for those who spitefully use us and, and mistreat us, and, and laying his own life down as a servant, and they're thinking to themselves, this isn't very Messiah-like. We assumed that he was going to come in here and kick out Rome, that he was going to set us up as a light to the whole world, and basically that they would rule with, as kings on earth with him, that he would rule with a rod of iron, as it said in Psalms 2. And, and there are many of his disciples walked away from him before he was even crucified because he didn't fit their expectations of what the Messiah would be. And, and maybe his close disciples who still remained after his death and burial and resurrection still had a little bit of this thought lingering in their mind where they're thinking, all right, Jesus, I see how this goes. You know, you, you came to die first, but now that you've been resurrected, now you're going to kick Rome out. Now we're going to be free. I, all right, you almost had me, but I figured it out. And so they're asking Jesus, is this when it's going to happen now? And Jesus said, you don't need to know that. Don't worry about it. It's not for you to know the times or the periods. Now, this wasn't Jesus' plan when he came to the earth to, to rule and reign yet. And, and even after he was resurrected, it was not his plan to rule and reign on this earth yet. He had a different plan in mind. And you and I coming to faith was a part of that plan. And it says that, that he's not slacking up there in heaven. You know, that, that he's not just waiting around because he's busy doing other things, that no, he is patient, he's long-suffering, he's waiting for everybody who's going to come to faith to come to faith in him. And, and so he's saying, guys, don't worry about the times or, or the periods here. Um, you know, we're, we're simply called to be ready. I don't know about you guys, I'm kind of a, a procrastinator, and so if, if Jesus gave us a day and time of when he was coming back, it's, it's probably a solid guarantee that I'd be waiting until the last minute and then I'd be calling friends up and, wait, you need to receive Jesus. He's coming back tomorrow. Like, I mean it. And, and, and so Jesus just simply says, be ready, be ready. And that's Annie's dad who, who just went to be with the Lord recently. Pastor Corey was sitting and talking with him. And he's like, what message do you have for the church? And he says, be ready for the rapture. 
be rapture ready. And, and really, that means just serving the Lord, being a part of the fellowship and, and having your lives in a place where you're not holding everything back. Everything's out there. As Paul said about his own life, that he's been poured out as a drink offering, that, that we're not holding any, anything back, that we're, we're going all in on this, and, uh, and that we would be ready. And notice here, too, this is just a good side note. Uh, he says, it's not for you to know the times or the periods in which the Father has put in his own authority, uh, but, uh, you know, that we just simply need to be ready. Um, it's a great reminder if there's somebody out there in, who's trying to tell the world that they know the exact time and place that Jesus is coming back, you can instantly dismiss them as a heretic. Because I guarantee you that when Jesus was on earth and he says, well, yeah, the Father hasn't even told me when I'm coming back, or the angels in heaven, or even just the disciples, I guarantee that if God didn't tell any of them that he didn't tell this Joe Schmo who's out there saying, I know when Jesus is coming back, I figured it out. Sorry, no, you didn't. And so we can immediately dismiss this. But what Jesus says that we need to focus on is that, that he, we will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon us. And the word for power here is the Greek word dunamis, which is the, the root word that we use for dynamite, dynamic. It's powerful. Not something that just kind of fizzles, but that is very, very powerful. And so this power can be manifested in our lives in, in many different ways. It can give us power in our battle over the flesh. You know, we have the, the works of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. When the Holy Spirit comes upon us, we have power over things that we just felt weak to in the past. We have power in our witness in this world. As, as we give our lives to him, he molds us and shapes us and transforms our life. And our lives can be witnesses to Jesus. We can have power in our boldness to speak the truth of God and his love to others. I can remember a specific time where I felt the Holy Spirit just being poured upon me, and I am not somebody who has the gift of evangelism. You don't find me, you know, praying for people in parking lots to receive Jesus at all times. I just don't, I'm not gifted in that way as an evangelist. But there was one specific time where God called me to go speak to somebody who, it was, it was scary to me because he was a very big, tough-looking gangster and uh, who had a pit bull with him. And I'm going like, okay, and God's like, you need to go speak to this guy. And I just felt the power of the Holy Spirit come over me. And I'm speaking to this guy and sharing the love of God with him. And I said, do you want to receive that? And in tears, the guy said, yes. And we're sitting there on the street corner praying, and it's like, what? This is not me. <laughs> like, if you know me, that's not, that's not my daily course of events. But through the Holy Spirit, he gives us power to do things like that. He gives us power in our lives to love the unlovable. And I'm sure each and every one of us has someone or many people in our lives who try to make themselves unlovable. And God gives us the power to overcome our own temptations of flesh, to respond to hatred with more hatred, 
And God gives us the power to love them. And the word of God itself is powerful. Hebrews 4.12 says, For the word of God is living, powerful, sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the division of soul and spirit, of joints and marrow, and is a discerner of the thoughts and intents of the heart. So we know that the word itself is powerful. And without the guidance of the Holy Spirit, Sometimes we can be swinging the word of God around like a toddler with a samurai sword. It's like jump out of the way or you're going to get cut and not necessarily in a good way. And, and so we need the Holy Spirit to guide us as we share the word of truth with people. And really, I think one of the greatest examples of the power of the Holy Spirit in, in uh, an example in the life in, in the scriptures came through Peter, who was a man who couldn't stand up to a servant girl and admit that he even knew Jesus, to being somebody who's standing up in front of at least 3,000 people preaching the word of God with power just a few weeks later. And so this is something that it's just evidence of the power of Jesus coming upon them. And what does he give us power for? It says that we would be his witnesses. This is the context in which the Holy Spirit gives his power, that we would be his witnesses of, of Jesus Christ and his love, his majesty, his, his power in our own lives. You know, you look at what makes a good witness. It's simply sharing forth truth. So I had kind of a crazy week, and, and this... It was so strange. I left church last Sunday, and uh, I saw a major car wreck, and I ended up seeing two other car wrecks, uh, unfortunately witnessed somebody dying on a motorcycle, and uh, all happened within a week. It was, that was not a regular week for me. But I'm leaving here, and I'm going down Bocal, and, and there's uh, a guy coming toward me who, who's turning left on Bocal, uh, or he was on vocal turning left on Ramsey, and there was somebody who had a stop sign at Ramsey and either didn't see this guy or thought he could make it or whatever, but he pulled forth. There was, you know, collision. They hit the power pole, knocked the power pole over, sparks flying. It started a grass fire. I mean, it was a crazy situation. I'm going, whoa. But the guy who got hit was a sheriff's deputy, so he was just, you know, very straight with me, and he gave me a, a witness form, and and he was explaining, here's what I want. I don't want your feelings about the situation. I don't want anything. You just need to describe what you saw. And that's what makes a good witness. What have we seen God do in our lives? What have we read about God's truth? We are witnesses in just simply proclaiming what he has written down for us and the truth that he has revealed to us. And we just take that and we share it with others. That's what it means to be a good witness of Jesus. The Holy Spirit was not given so that people can act like it's a circus sideshow. His job is to magnify Christ. And remember what Jesus said of the Holy Spirit in John chapter 16. He told the disciples, I still have many things to tell you, but you can't bear them now. When the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. 
For he will not speak on his own, but he will speak whatever he hears. He will also declare to you what is to come. He will glorify me because he will take from what is mine and declare it to you. And though there's many gifts of the Spirit, they all go to glorify Jesus and to make him known and to make him magnified. If there is something being labeled as the Holy Spirit, but it's in no way bringing honor and glory to Jesus Christ— it's not the Spirit of God. No matter how, what context you find it in, if it's in another church, if it's in a Bible study, if there's something being labeled as the Holy Spirit and it is not first and foremost glorifying Jesus Christ, then it's not of God. The Spirit equipped and empowered the disciples to go out and spread the message of the kingdom. He gave them boldness and he gave them the words to speak. He also called and he guided men and women throughout the centuries to go to different nations and proclaim the gospel. He never forced people, he led them. And in Philippians 2.13, it says, For it is God who is working in you both to will and to work according to his good purpose. Let's close it out with uh, verses 9 through 11. And it says, After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching. And a cloud took him out of their sight, and while he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and then suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus who has been taken from you into heaven will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. So when Jesus spoke these final words to them about the Holy Spirit, he flew up in the air and they just stood there watching. And and once again, I believe there was probably a a, a small wave of fear that came across them. Because when Jesus was crucified, they were broken, they were torn, they thought to themselves, we're all alone. And then he was resurrected and he came back, and now he's gone again. And I'm sure there was a wave of fear that came upon them. What do we do now? And then the angels come to them and they say, what are you guys doing? You're just looking up in the sky. And essentially what they were saying is, there's work to be done. Jesus rose, he's still with us, but we've got a job to do here. And there's some of us, you know, as this world gets more and more evil, as we're seeing darkness just surround everything around us, that in a sense, we're not, we're not serving as much as we used to. We're just kind of standing there looking at the sky going, God, Aren't you coming back? And, and God says, that's, that's not what it means to be rapture ready. That's not what God was talking about. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm with you. I, I see the wickedness. I see the evil. And, and, and there's a temptation to just cry out for the rapture just because we simply want it all to end. But again, we have to remember why God is patient, why he hasn't returned yet because he loves those people out there. And we need to love them with the same love that he has loved us. And, and, and so with that, you know, there's work to be done. We need to be out there in the world. We need to be serving the Lord. And we need to be doing it with the strength that he's providing. And he promises that he will. Jesus will return. We can be certain of that. First, he's going to return for his church. And then he will return to set up everything right, to set his kingdom in order on this earth. 
And so our, our job right now, our goals, cling to him, be filled with the spirit, and when he comes, we're going to be ready. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you. We thank you that you have blessed us with every spiritual blessing. Lord, that you have given us the gift of the Holy Spirit, that we know that we are not alone as we fight this good fight here on this earth. Lord, that you are with us. And Lord, if you're with us, who can be against us? God, I just pray that in each of our hearts and each of our lives, God, that you would give us the strength that we need to follow after you, to love those around us. Lord, that our witness and our testimony would remain intact as we follow you. And God, that you would just do mighty works through each and every one of us. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your love for us. And we just pray that you would be with us. In Jesus' name, amen.